Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Middle-income families need help. We're coming out of COVID-19. We want to keep our economy strong. When you have an infrastructure bill, there's spinoffs of that. There's spinoffs in cities and towns all across America. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We need to incentivize the manufacturing of chips in America. I do believe the vaccine is safe and effective. But I think what government's role is is to share the science, share the facts share the benefits. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Washington is hot and humid today as thousands of Americans wait to be evacuated from Afghanistan. President Biden sits for his first interview since the fall of Kabul. We'll update the situation on both ends of this story and talk about it in just a moment with former Congressman, former Ambassador Tim Romer, architect of the 9-11 Commission. And later, a real top gun, military journalist and retired naval aviator Ward Carroll on the mission over Kabul right now and how the war nets for the U.S. We'll have the panel two Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis are both with us for the hour. Thank you for spending time with us today on Bloomberg Radio. We're all watching the clock as we approach a major deadline at the end of the month. Of course, the U.S. to complete the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Get everyone out who wants to get out. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby briefing reporters today says we have no reason to believe that date will change. There has been no decision to change the deadline. And we are focused on doing everything we can inside that deadline to move as many people out as possible. Um, And if and when there's a decision to change that, uh, then obviously that would require additional conversations uh, with the Taliban. Yeah, we'd have to work out any formal extension with the Taliban in control of Afghanistan. Kirby asked about that, of course, after President Biden's interview with George Stephanopoulos. President said U.S. forces would stay longer if needed to get all Americans out of the country, which he is pledging to do. In the meantime, the Pentagon says the U.S. does remain in control of the airport. No skirmishes to report around the perimeter today, though the Taliban has set up. You may have heard additional checkpoints, as Bloomberg has been reporting, around that airport making it potentially more difficult for people to get out. It's making people worry about what happens if they close those gates. And joining us to learn more about how we got here this week, how this situation may resolve as well, is Tim Romer, former Democratic congressman from Indiana, former ambassador to India, and an architect of the 9-11 Commission, which spent a lot of time investigating the Taliban and al-Qaeda. Mr. Ambassador, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. I, I'm sure you've gamed out a lot of scenarios for the way this would end. Was this one of them? Well, Joe, good to be back with you and good to be back with your listeners. Uh, No, I don't think anybody expected this, Joe. Uh, You you look back, uh, the first major Afghan city fell on August 9th, and then the capital, Kabul, uh, capitulated six days later. Uh, I don't think any intelligence, any military reporting, any policy uh, analysis ever expected that. I'd make two points here. 
Joe, for your listeners to to uh, uh, listen to and understand. Uh, one is is that we need to take the long view of the so-called long war. Yeah. Not analyze this simply in terms of 72 hours. It's more like looking at a four-hour movie uh, rather than taking a selfie or a picture, a snapshot today. Let's see where we are two years from now, five years from now. Um, my guess is that, uh, you know, with the world changing so dramatically, we're looking at terrorist threats from Syria, from Eastern Africa, from Somalia, from Al-Qaeda, from Al-Shabaab, not just from Afghanistan. So President Biden's decision, I think, long term in getting out is probably the right one. And we're facing more than we did 20 years ago, threats from nation states like China and Russia and Iran that are openly challenging the United States. And then finally, Joe, as we all know, and we we are sad about, I think, in our hearts, uh, we have domestic terrorism rising in the United States that we have to pay attention to. When we had our country, our constitution, our capital attacked by domestic insurrectionists, uh, and the threat that they may pose in the future is is one to uh, you know consider as well. So there's a lot to look at here. Yeah. Uh, the good news is that uh, you know that the, the Pentagon reported today uh, that uh, you know flights are coming in. Five thousand two hundred troops are securing the airport in Kabul. Uh, that's good news. I think thirteen C-17s uh, have landed uh, today and. Uh, brought more troops. Twelve have departed Kabul with uh, a few thousand more people to get out. So, you know, that is good news after the miscalculations and missteps in the last few days. I'd like to ask you about President Biden's interview last night. And I like the way you're looking at this in terms of what's happening right now, as well as the long view. I'd like to kind of tackle those separately. Uh, Last night, when ABC's George Stephanopoulos asked President Biden if this could have been handled better, here's what he said. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. Priced into your view as well, Ambassador? Look, uh, I, I'm somebody that has made mistakes in my life, uh, Joe, and, uh, you know, in, in politics and personal life and, uh, sure. you know, recognizing those mistakes and embracing them. And most importantly, you know, learning from them is, is critically important. I think we have made some miscalculations miscalcul- uh, here. I mean, let's let's try to put something together and look at some of this. Um, you know, the Trump policy had an even faster withdrawal rate, exce- uh, you know, accelerating the uh, troop withdrawal. And, uh, you know, we got to learn from the position that that put us in. We have to learn from intelligence. Why did our intelligence not pick up the fact that the Taliban up to a year and a half ago was paying off Afghan troops to yeah. surrender once they started to run into cities? Another thing, Joe, that I'm well, let sure me just stop you there, if I if about. I could, Ambassador, because I, I want to ask you about the, the Taliban. 
Is this the same group of people you investigated on the 9-11 Commission? Was this the same type of behavior that, that you witnessed then? And, and are they behaving the way you expected now? Well, certainly uh, one of the things that that resolution that I voted for in Congress to go into Afghanistan to accomplish was to uh, demolish uh, al-Qaeda and to get bin Laden. We have done that. We, we, we have seriously degraded al-Qaeda's capabilities. We never voted for a resolution in Congress to nation build or to be there 20 or 30 years. It sure. was to just get al-Qaeda and make sure that was not a trampoline for more attacks. And then, of course, getting bin Laden, which we eventually did. Uh, this Taliban has changed. I mean, we we got to hold them accountable. We got to see what they're up to. They've been vicious in terms of their uh, their war strategy. We'll see how they govern. They're going to are they ambitious politically in that they may behave differently on the world stage? Well, they're behaving differently than many of the of the people in our intelligence community initially thought they would. So far, yeah. let's hold their feet to the fire. Uh, let's see what they do. We've got uh, things that we can hold over them, sanctions. There's $9 billion in, in, in uh, central bank reserves that mm-hmm. we could have disappear tomorrow uh, for their economy. Uh, there is recognition of governments that governments are going to look at over the long term. Uh, you know, this is, you know, again, Joe, this is the long game. Uh, yeah. What, what do we want that to look like? How do we well, try to make sure terrorism doesn't spring up again? And how do we try to make sure the Taliban could be responsible people in the short term uh, uh, playing out what they've done so far? We'll see. So long game, should we acknowledge the Taliban as as a legitimate government? I think that's way too early to, you know, speculate on. Uh, uh, I think that's something to hold over them. You know, they have a huge challenge ahead of them, Joe. I mean, They've gone from militant fighters to now how do they govern? What do they do in a state which has extremely high poverty, uh, has a a high inflation rate, uh, has a uh, a military that just disappeared, 300,000 in their military, 30,000 special operations that the U.S. trained over the last several years, spending $83 billion. Where did they go? What happened to them? And – you know, they're, they're, they have to govern, and that's hard, as you and I know. That's a lot harder than winning. Huh. Yeah, it's difficult as well. Uh, when you could potentially be providing safe harbor to terrorists, do you see that as the same Taliban that you looked into uh, so many years ago? Look, you know, they, the leadership has changed uh, uh, over time because the U.S. military, the best in the world, has been able to go into Afghanistan and get the people responsible for 9-11 and continually degrade al-Qaeda, putting them almost out of business. And the Taliban has changed. Uh, But, um, you know, there are protests in Afghanistan in the last 24 hours, people still standing up for, you know, not having the Taliban run things. There are women and girls that have been treated well by the United States over the last 20 years. Uh, They're going to insist on their rights and hopefully – the international community can insist on those human rights being honored uh, going forward. So there, there's a lot to look at here, a lot of challenges ahead for the United States and for our NATO partners and for India. Uh, when I served in India, 
President Obama asked me to fly into Kabul and work with the Indians to get them more invested in that country, Hmm. given their ethnic and religious ties. And the Indians pledged $2 billion over the last 10 years on economic projects, police training, and uh, women and and girls uh, empowerment programs. Uh, The Indians have a lot at stake in this. Boy. There's so much to talk about here. We could do a whole hour together with Tim Romer, and I can't thank you enough for coming in. Former ambassador to India, former congressman from Indiana. I can't imagine what's going through Tim Romer's head as he watches what's happening in real time, along with all of us on the ground right now in Kabul. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Headline on the terminal reads, Biden says chaos couldn't have been avoided. We watched the interview last night on ABC News. We get to talk about it now with the classic sound on panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis are with us. I want you to know you were both on my mind last night as I'm watching the interview with George Stephanopoulos on ABC. And I want to ask you as much about President Biden's demeanor as uh, I do his words. Let's start again just to reset here with the president talking about Uh, the 9-11 anniversary with Stephanopoulos. In a couple of weeks, we're all going to commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The Taliban are going to be ruling Afghanistan like they were when our country was attacked. How do you explain that to the American people? Not true. It's not true. They're not going to look just like they were when we were attacked. There was a guy named Osama bin Laden that was still alive and well. They were organized in a big way that they had significant help from other parts of the world. We went there for two reasons, George. Two reasons. One, to get bin Laden, and two, to wipe out as best we could, and we did the al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. We did it. Rick Davis, what he said there was true. A lot of people have called into question the style in which he said it, the way he conducted himself, appearing upset, maybe angry, if I can use that word, at, at times maybe defensive. How did you read it? Yeah, defensive is a great word. Um, there's no question he went in with his back up. He knew he was going to have to fight through the uh, speech that he gave just a day earlier where he said no regrets on this policy. Yeah. Um, but look, I really call into question uh, the premise of what he just said. Uh, if, if that were the case, then the Taliban would have stayed in power the entire time in the last 20 years. We not only uh, had a, a, a requirement to get rid of the al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, but, but we knew that the Taliban would give aid and comfort to any organization that wanted to terrorize the United States of America. And they did. And, and that's why we had a change in our uh, government in Afghanistan uh, taking the Taliban out. And now the Taliban are back in. And George Stephanopoulos was right uh, 20 years ago. Uh, when 9-11 occurred, the Taliban was part of the problem. It wasn't just al-Qaeda. Now they're back. What did you think of the president's tone last night, Jeannie? You just played one of the, the thoughts, that, the pieces that I thought was, was quite astonishing. Another one I would suggest is when he says that was four or five days ago in response to George Stephanopoulos raising the specter of hundreds of people packed into a C-17 and Afghans falling out of planes to their death. Yeah. The president responded that was four days ago, maybe five days ago. 
the problem for Joe Biden is he ran as empathetic Joe. He ran as competent Joe. This last five, six days, he himself has destroyed, at least poked great holes into the idea of empathy and also of competence. And he's got to get back on track of that. I think that comment four or five days ago is one of the worst I've heard a president make in an interview like this. I don't know if it's because his press secretary has been on vacation, but he has not been well prepared for any of this. The other thing I would say, you go back, you look at what he had to say, because I've looked through the transcript very carefully. He's on all sides of every issue. So yeah, I wish I could be more positive and upbeat, Joe, and I'm sorry you thought of the both of us last night, because (laughs) my thoughts were not as upbeat as they should have been. I got to remind people from time to time that Jeannie is a Democrat here. She's been rough on uh, President Joe Biden. Uh, Rick, look, a lot goes into making a decision to sit down for an interview like that. This was carefully choreographed. And I wonder what you would have been telling the president before they spoke last night. Yeah, I think Jeannie nailed it. Um, This guy has been uh, uh, rewarded politically time and time again for his empathy, for his understanding, uh, for being a person like us, the voters. And last night uh, in that Stephanopoulos interview, I think he was anything but those things. And so why shed uh, the image that you have carefully cultivated throughout your career uh, on this issue? Um, Obviously, they're reeling from the sights and the sounds of uh, the reporting from Afghanistan, and they're trying a new tact. But this new tact is, is void of any understanding that these people were our allies, uh, these people were our friends, they fought side by side uh, with us against people like the Taliban and the Al-Qaeda. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're sort of four days ago chatter on the, on the runway. And so I, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting to see the polling data in about a week where all this sets in and we, we come out of the crisis mode and into uh, the withdrawal of troops and and see what kind of damage has been done in the in the ongoing period because the policy is popular but I think his approach is probably anything but that and of course I don't need to remind you guys that when that those polling numbers come out we're going to be in the throes of an infrastructure debate with lawmakers coming back into town in our last minute uh, Jeannie with what you said and what we just heard from Rick should it not be a sit-down interview does Joe Biden need to hold a primetime news conference and take a hundred questions He's going to have to. I think he should, to answer your question. And if you look back at the data that's just coming out, because people like us collect this all the time, he has held far less press conferences than his predecessors. He's answered far less questions. Of course, we've had a pandemic, so it's hard to get people together to do that. But at this point, I think he should. I think we need the administration to speak with one voice. We've heard Millie. We've heard the uh, Defense Secretary Austin. We've heard the president, and we're hearing various things from all of them. We need to have a clear statement from the White House on going forward on this. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Reports today that the U.S. military has been flying now suddenly fighter jets at low level over Kabul, some form of aggression. They said the press briefing at the Pentagon was full of questions about this, and we did hear about it from General Hank Taylor. We also heard from Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. Both were quick to try to 
respond to these reports? These were not uh, low pets. These are uh, providing air support. And this isn't anything new. The, as we know, the, the Ronald Reagan has been there providing support. So these F-18s uh, are flying more than just yesterday. These were continuously in support. Uh, also, Idris, uh, there had been some reporting out there that there were low passes and that, and that uh, there was some sort of shows of force. And I think we felt that given the context of some of the erroneous reporting out there yesterday, that we wanted to clear that up. This came back up. They went over it over and over again. A lot of questions from longtime Pentagon reporters on why there were armed fighter jets flying over Kabul right now and the Taliban doesn't have an air force. And of course, we're trying to keep things uh, peaceful here. They explained, of course, this is force protection. They're trying to keep a lot of options open if uh, commanders on the ground need them. We're joined right now by somebody who knows a lot more about this than I do, a real expert, Ward Carroll used to fly as a radar intercept officer in the backseat of an F-14 over the skies of Iraq, a career naval aviator who became an author and a, a military journalist and is now host of the Ward Carroll YouTube channel. If you geek out on military stuff and fighter jets like I do, you want to subscribe. And I haven't talked to you in a long time, Ward. Welcome to Bloomberg Radio. It's great to have you with us. What do you make initially here? And I should mention that Ward spent time as a journalist in Afghanistan. But about what's happening right now, why are these F-18s flying over Kabul. Is it about what might happen or something more than that? Well, Joe, it's great to talk to you. It has been a long time. Um, I think it is about what could happen. So this is the beauty of carrier aviation. As the general mentioned in the press conference, this is the USS Ronald Reagan and the North Arabian Sea. Yeah. Carrier Boeing 5, which includes a Super Hornet squadron that used to be a Tomcat squadron, VFA. 102, Excellent. the Diamondbacks. <laughs> I served a tour in, as a department in VF, VF-102 aboard USS America back in the day. Fought the Great Bosnian War um, in, in that uh, squadron. So this is simply presence, and this is the flexibility that, that an aircraft carrier brings in these sort of chaotic, high-entropy situations. So I wouldn't read anything like escalation. I, I know that, uh, like you, I, I watched that, that press conference and saw Barbara Starr and Michael yeah. Tarakop sort of like lean into John Kirby and, and the general about, you know what, there's airplanes there? I, I don't know how that could possibly surprise them or, or seem like some sort of a provocative move. Well, um, some wonder about it. this because the Taliban does not have an air force, right? But I I also would ask you that this, this does come with a certain level of risk for the crews flying those planes, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you go down, you know, in hostile lands, uh, you're going to be a POW. And that becomes, that changes the calculus, Right as it has over the decades, um, whether it's Bacaw Valley and, and Bobby Goodman or, you know, the Desert Storm when we had POWs. Yes, certainly that, that is a, a, an issue. But along with not having an Air Force, they don't have any major surface-to-air missiles that can right. shoot okay. down a Super Hornet above 10,000 feet. So that's so not a real worry being shot down here. No, it's not. Uh, so, you know, if you have a you know, dual-engine failure or something, yes, you could – went up on the ground, but that's that's not likely to happen. So let's just call it a permissive environment. Yeah. So why are they there? Yes, Taliban has no air force, but we've had air presence in the entire time that we've been there, and the Taliban has never had an air force. So it's close air support, right? It's if something escalates on the ground and you need to have very surgical ordnance brought to bear, these airplanes can do that. So if you needed to disperse, you know, Taliban or try to back them away uh, from American forces or that kind of thing. If there's if there's a you know broken arrow scenario where they're overrunning the base and 
Americans are at great risk, uh, then then you might call in these super hornets to uh, to back them off. Yep. You know, and that that's it. I just think it's right now. It's just presence, as John said. They're not doing the low passes, the show of force stuff. They're just holding that altitude in comms with the, the Ford air controllers on the ground and just on call, close air support, and just there in case they're needed. Ward, give us a sense of what we left. We've heard a lot about billions of dollars in military hardware, Black Hawk helicopters, uh, Super Tucanos. Did we leave anything there that the Taliban can actually use? Yeah, we did. We left a lot of stuff there. You already see them driving around up-armored Humvees. In terms um, of aircraft, I guess I should be more specific, but you can complete that story as well. Yeah, so yes, they have former Soviet helicopters, Heinz, that are still operational. I don't know how many or if any Blackhawks that we left behind. We gave the Afghan Air Force those super Tucanos. Um, so now I don't know if they have flight school, if they're going to press the folks who are trained into service, you know, under the Taliban flag. Uh, you know, that kind of forced march kind of thing, I guess, is possible. So they will have an Air Force. These are turboprop airplanes. They're not jets. But they're, carry, you know, they're capable of carrying ordnance, and they're very capable Wow. Uh, you know, a surgical strike airplane. So they, they can take all of this stuff. And, and we did summarily pull out and we left a lot of stuff behind because over the 20 years we were there, the infrastructure we created in a uniquely American way was uh, a lot. Ward, I don't have as much time as you and I used to get. I only have about a minute left here, but I remember when you went to Afghanistan as a journalist, a former naval aviator, now journalist on the ground. In the short time that we have, can you describe the net gain or loss for the U.S. from this war? Um, so I think in some ways we did create modernity to the extent that it, the Taliban's trying to instill Sharia law is going to be harder than it was. Yeah. So that's the only net gain I see. Otherwise, it's a 20-year waste to get back to where we started. And this is heartbreaking. I look in the eyes of the children I saw when I was there and the promise we gave by our presence and we failed. So I, I think there's a lot of lessons, the same ones we should have le- learned in Vietnam that now we're learning all over again. So um, I think this Jeez. nets out as a loss for the United States. I was kind of hoping you weren't going to say that. Um, and I'm really glad to hear from you again. We'd like to stay in touch with you as this mission progresses. Find him on YouTube, our friend Ward Carroll, retired F-14 radar intercept officer. That means he was Goose, a, actually a real top gunner too. Now an author, host of the Ward Carroll YouTube channel, as I mentioned. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. They're still asking many of the same questions we were asking this time yesterday about Afghanistan. Like, could this have been handled better? And will we get everyone out, not just American citizens, but our Afghan allies who worked alongside U.S. troops the last 20 years? That is where we begin with the panel. This time around, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan Zeno and Rick Davis uh, with us, of course. I want to get back to the interview uh, last night with President Biden. And he was asked about this. We, we hit it at the very beginning of the program to hear uh, Tim Romer's response. Essentially, did we have any options? Could this have been done better? He was asked by ABC's George Stephanopoulos. So you don't think this could have been handled? This actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow 
there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. Now, Tim Romer suggested maybe not, and I wonder uh, how Jeannie and Rick feel about this, and I'll ask both of you from a political standpoint and, and even just a factual one. Do you believe that was the case? Was there was there a chance to have a plan B here? Maybe, maybe drag this out a little longer and buy some time. And and the second part of that question is, look, this tape's going to be played back in campaign ads all day long in the midterms. Right, Rick? The Absolutely. This is now a commercial waiting to happen. And uh, and that interview will be riff with quotes that are coming out uh, in those kinds of commercials. But but look, I think you're going to have to spin the clock back pretty far to figure out a way to have avoided a crisis here. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago in October of uh, 2020 where the president, uh, then Trump, uh, said he was going to withdraw all 50, all 5,000 troops that were in Afghanistan. And this was in October by December, by Christmas Day. And that sent a signal to the Taliban, it's all for your coming. Come on, guys, water's warm. You know, retake this country because the president of the United States says in two months I'm going to withdraw all my troops. Now, that didn't wind up happening, but but we've been sending that signal ever since then. And so, of course, the Taliban were going to be prepared and the only thing that bothers, I think, most decision makers in Capitol Hill right now is why weren't we equally prepared? Yeah. Jeannie, everyone's an armchair general right now, right? Everyone's suddenly a military expert, and I'm really trying not to be. But it doesn't seem to take a lot of imagination to imagine this potentially playing out in a slightly different fashion without uh, the sort of condensed period of chaos that we've seen here. But then the political side of it, as we said, uh, the tape that's going to be replayed. That's right. And, and, you know, let's just talk about a specific example. The United States government is still telling us that they don't know how many U.S. citizens are in the country. They're estimating between 10 and 15,000. They've also said that they have no plan to evacuate Americans who are outside of the Capitol. And so that just is one example. Then you add to that our U.S. allies over there in Afghanistan. And they have, as uh, the Joint Chief have said, and the Secretary of Defense have said, they have no plans to create a safe way for these people to get to the Capitol. So, you know, other countries have figured out ways to do this. And that's why when the president says there was no way to avoid this chaos, you know, getting out was always going to be hard. He's not the one who got us in there. But he is the president now, and we needed a plan to at least safely get the Americans and those people who risked their lives to help us out of that country safely before we exited. And that is going to be a problem for him going forward. I want to hear a, a piece of audio uh, when it comes to the evacuees, the issue of evacuees that we've been talking about a lot, a piece of audio from a couple of months ago now, actually. It was on the 23rd of June. Congressman Seth Moulton, who was on this broadcast just two days ago, Democrat from Massachusetts, a Marine who served four tours in Iraq at one point. He was one of the only combat veterans in Congress. Now he's, he's one of a, of a growing uh, number. And we had a pretty emotional conversation about his thoughts on this whole thing, specifically when it came to evacuees of Afghans, our Afghan allies who worked as interpreters, drivers, contractors, helping U.S. troops in combat for years, and he worked with similar uh, interpreters when he was in Iraq. I want to bring you to a hearing on June 23rd on Capitol Hill. 
Seth Moulton speaking to the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and General uh, Milley, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, urging them to do something then, to speed up the paperwork, to get these people out. Listen to this from June 23rd. These brave Afghan partners, these Afghan and American heroes, people who we asked to risk their lives, not just for Afghanistan, but for America, because we had their backs. Their future is, is in your hands. And this much is certain. The Taliban will kill them if they can. And they will rape and murder their wives and kids first if they can. Chairman Milley, if the service chiefs were ordered to evacuate our Afghan allies today, is there a plan in place to get that started immediately? We have the military capability to do whatever is directed by the President of the United States with respect to our allies uh, in, in those that have worked with us. And I consider it a moral imperative to take care of those that uh, have served uh, along our side. Uh, we are prepared to execute uh, whatever we are directed. And then weeks went by. And now almost two months have gone by. Rick Davis, it's chilling to hear that conversation from that long ago when people still now are trying to get that paperwork done. That's right. I mean, Congressman Moulton was dead on in his uh, questioning of the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And I think the Joint Chief made a very definitive statement that it's a moral imperative uh, to ensure the safety of those people who fought alongside our own servicemen. Um, Congressman Moulton has been on a, on a campaign to point out deficiencies within the Biden administration's entire program of repatriating these people to the United States. I mean, he pointed out we have 6,000 troops committed there and 40 counselor officers. Now, you can't get on a plane without passing through one of those 40 counselor officers. Yeah. And so what's good is 6,000 troops if you can't get through the choke point? Uh, I think uh, Democrats will look back on this and, and say this is a real profile and courage moment for Seth Moulton. I think he pointed out uh, what this administration should have been doing, and 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 thank goodness that he's going to continue to to campaign on this because there are 65,000, as the president pointed out mm -hmm. in his interview with uh, Stephanopoulos, uh, 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 Afghans who supported our efforts, and they need to be out of Afghanistan just as much as our officers do too. Well, the storyline is changing though. Just to, just I guess what days ago we were hearing we're going to get everybody out. Period. We owe it to our allies. We will get everyone out. Now it's we will get all Americans out. And when asked about Afghans who are trying to leave the country, it's, well, we're going to do the best we can. Uh, Jeannie, that's the kind of storyline that also becomes an advertisement, but also makes people question the motivations of an administration that was making a different promise a few days ago. Well, that's why we do need clarity from the administration, and they do need to, at the very least, ensure Americans and our allies, all of them, get out. And I just want to go to the other side of this for a minute, because one of the darkest things we've been hearing, at least I've been hearing from the last few days, is coming from the conservative Republicans who are questioning why we are bringing Afghanis into this country when we do not know if they are going to be peaceful, when we, you know, as an immigration 
an issue. And that is a shameful, shameful argument being made on the right in the last few days. So from both of those perspectives, the administration should be very clear that we are going to get our people out and Afghanis who helped us out, and they are going to be welcome in the United States. That's what we do, and that's what this administration should do, and they should stand up to that conservative argument because it's deeply troubling. We're talking with Rick and Jeannie in our final moments here. Uh, Rick, what has to happen in the next, gosh, it's Friday already tomorrow. I can't imagine the president's gonna be doing a lot of public speaking over the course of the weekend. From a public relations standpoint, what, what are you advising the commander in chief to do in the next 24 hours here? Or are we already on to Sunday shows and back to infrastructure next week? Yeah, I think that uh, there'll be a share of infrastructure in the news cycle coming into next week because it's so important to the domestic capacity that we have to compete. But at the end of the day, the, the optics of what you're seeing in Afghanistan will continue to be front page news and it'll dominate uh, most of the discussions this weekend as well it should. And, and so the real question is going to be uh, what does the president do after opening up for questioning with, uh, with George Stephanopoulos? Does he then take questions from the broader press corps uh, and, and, and basically try to put into more definition uh, the plans for what happens after August 31st, because I think one of the things that came out of that interview is there's no way to get all these evacuations done by August 31st. So what happens next? There's a lot of questions still to answer, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, and we're going to continue to seek answers tomorrow with big thanks as ever to Rick and Jeannie, our classic Bloomberg Sound On panel. And I want to tell you tomorrow, another one you'll want to hear as we start Friday's edition of Sound On with Omar Samad, who served as the Afghanistan ambassador to Canada in the middle of all this, 04 to 09, and to France in later years, now with the Atlantic Council. His view on what we owe our allies in Afghanistan. We'll meet you back here for the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.